Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. Hey, good morning, family. Good morning. Amen. Um, I needed a few more seconds. Amen. 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 Since we're here, let's do this. Um, I want to read some scripture and I want to pray. But man, what a perfect song to set up this, this next few moments. Above all else, the highest name, the only name. Today we're talking about our first and most foundational core value, Jesus over everything. Um, Let me read a scripture. John chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, just throw your hand up and we'll have one put in your hand. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The word of the Lord reads, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. His life brought life to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. I'm going to pray, but my heart today, family, um, is to give you less of a sermon today um, and more of an extended plea from my heart to plead with you to see this truth for real. Let me pray. Father, God, I just feel the weight of this truth. That God, if it's settled deep down in our hearts, God, it would change everything. Jesus over everything. God, we need, I need your help in this moment, God. We're going to read for some familiar passages and for some hear familiar words, but God, I need you to disrupt our thinking and to invade this moment. God, would you make this the first step of faith we as a church are taking towards embracing you and holding nothing back? Fill this place with your spirit, God. Fill this place with your presence, God. Give us ears to hear your voice now, God. 
Give us a heart that is made of flesh, ready to obey. God, help us to put our lives on the altar in this moment, withholding nothing. Because you are truly worthy and you are truly high above all things. Help me, Father. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, God, our Redeemer and our Rock. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Amen. I meant what I said a few minutes ago that I have really an extended plea for you today. As we shift as a church, it is more important than ever to have language and identity that is going to hold us together. But more than just Radiant Reimagined coming up, hopefully that you hear today and over the next five weeks language that you can use in your life to reflect the glory of God through your life. You see, these five core values, and I'm going to give them to you all, they're on the screen right behind me, but these five core values, Jesus over everything, kingdom over church, cross-culture over comfort, community over convenience, mission over me, my prayer and the prayer of the pastors of this church is that this language would be more than just words on the website, but would be something that guides you in your daily life. You see, these are not aspirational or theological statements only. These values, our hope is and our prayer is that these would be a decision-making matrix. Do you know what I'm talking about? If this is true, then I do that. If this is not true, then I do that. These values want to filter down beyond our heads and get down in our hearts where it decides our very lives. And upon the foundation which all of these other truths are built is this one truth, Jesus over everything. And like all of these core values, they can be interpreted a couple different ways. And so let me run through the ways that you may be thinking about them already and end where I want to end us with, because there is at least three ways to see this statement, Jesus over everything. Let me give you the first two. You can see this in a theological sense only. You can see this statement as an eschatological sense only. And let's look at those really quickly. When I say theological, I mean, what does this say about God? We're talking about the truth of the nature of God. Look at John chapter 1. When we say Jesus over everything, do we mean that in the beginning the Word already existed and the Word was with God and the Word was God? And of course, verse 15 and 14 and 15 says that this word is talking about Jesus, that all things were created by him and for him. Is that what we mean in part? Yes. That unless you understand that Jesus Christ is both the reason and the source of all creation, none of this other stuff will make sense. Flip over really quickly to Colossians. Just go to your right. It's a very skinny book. Flip over to Colossians. It's right after Philippians. One of my favorite passages talking about the nature of who Jesus is in the most clear terms possible is found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. I'm going to read the whole thing because I love it. 
it says Christ, which is the name for Jesus. It literally means anointed one or Messiah, the one promised. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Is that what we mean when we say Jesus over everything? Yes. That literally all of creation was given to Jesus as a gift, and yet he was also the one who created it, and ultimately it's all of creation should point back to the supremacy of Christ. That your very life that every breath that you take is in some way on an atomic level pointing to the goodness and majesty of Jesus. That even death and brokenness and heartache and pain and the tears that stroll down your face in some way on an eternal level points to the goodness of Jesus. Everything was created for him and by him and through him. Do we mean a theological statement when we say Jesus is over everything? Yes, but more. Flip over to Revelation chapter 19. It's the last book of the Bible. The second way to look at this statement is an eschatological statement. And eschatology just means a study of end times and end things. It really means where are we all going? Not just believers, but where is everything in all of creation going? What is the end? Jesus over everything can have an eschatological implication. Chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and the title was the Word of God. Sound familiar? The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses, and from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe or at his thigh was written the title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Do we mean or have in view an eschatological truth when we say that Jesus over everything, because Jesus is coming back on a white horse with a sword in his hands to wreck shop on all those who rejected him? Is that what we mean when we say Jesus over everything? Yes. But that's not all. You see, when we 
say the phrase Jesus over everything. We're just not pointing to a theological truth for many of you know that already. We're not pointing just to an eschatological truth because many of you have heard that already. What we're pointing to is the third way to look at that statement, which is what I want to spend our time today, is the practical implications of that truth. How does Jesus over everything change how you raise your kids? How does Jesus over everything change what kind of house you buy? How does Jesus over everything determine who you enter a relationship with? That's what I want to talk about today. Let me read a quote really briefly from a man named Will Williman. It says it this way. The most eloquent testimony to the reality of the resurrection. The most eloquent testimony to the reality of the resurrection is not an empty tomb or a well-orchestrated pageant on an Easter Sunday, but rather a group of people whose life together is so radically different, so completely changed from the way the world builds a community that there can be no explanation other than something decisive has happened in history. What he's saying is if you want to show that Jesus really lived, died, and got up out of the grave, the empty tomb is good, but it ain't going to get everybody there. They, found, they ain't found Jesus' body yet, and your unbelieving neighbor can still be an unbelieving neighbor. The most eloquent, the most impactful way to show that Jesus is really Lord is not just an empty tomb or programs on a Sunday morning. No, it's a life of people together that somehow is so radically different from how the world orients its priorities that people on the outside look in and say, I must be missing something. That people look at the church and say, I I must have missed something because they are radically different and they're prioritizing their lives in a way that seems strange and unfamiliar. And I agree with that statement. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Last scripture we're going to go at today. We're going to go to today. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul gives us a case study of the practical implications of Jesus over everything. We don't have to wonder what this means in our life. We see many examples, but in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, Paul gives us a masterclass of what it means to live like that statement is true. I'm going to jump in the middle and I'm going to explain the context in verse 19. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 says it this way. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with those Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. Verse 22, when I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. Hear this clearly, church. I do everything 
to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Do you hear what Paul is saying? That I do everything to share the good news of Jesus Christ to others and myself. That all of his life is strategically positioned with one question in mind. Does this help me share Jesus with somebody else? Does this make clear my allegiance to the king or not? Jesus over everything isn't just a theological statement. That's not a statement of eschatology. It's a statement of orienting your priorities in your life so that you live in such a way that it is clear that Jesus is Lord. You live in such a way that it's clear that Jesus is Lord. You see, here's the reality. In all of these core values, it's something over something else. Jesus over everything. Mission over me. Cross-culture over comfort. And that second word in that phrase is not a bad thing. Everything is good. God created everything. It is good. Comfort is good. I'm glad we don't have to start fires to warm up food. I'm glad we can open a thing, push a button, and walk away. Comforts and conveniences are good. I'm not calling us to discard our lives and live as monks on the mountains. I'm saying there comes a time when something good is in competition with Jesus. There comes a time, kingdom over church, and I don't want to steal my own thunder because we're talking about it next week, but there comes a time when the goals of the church and the goals of the kingdom are not the same. And there comes a time where even the good things that God has created in this world and given to you is in competition with him. And when I'm pleading with you, family, that if Jesus is Lord of your life, would you make with me consistent decisions to reflect that lordship and do not get pulled away with the tides of this culture? Before you post that thing on social media, ask yourself the question, does this reflect the lordship of Jesus Christ in my life? Before you make that purchase, Ask yourself the question, does this reflect the lordship of Jesus Christ over my life? Before you sign your kids up for everything under the sun, ask yourself the question, does this reflect the lordship of Jesus Christ in my life? The world has heard our claims. They're waiting for the proof. The world has heard our claims that Jesus loves them and has a plan for them, and there's a heaven and there's a hell, and there's only one way to God. It's through the man Jesus. They've heard our claims. But just like a court case, it's only the opening arguments. What's going to decide the case is the proof. And the proof will not be how awesome your church is. It won't be. The proof will not be how great the programs here are. The proof of Jesus Christ being who you say that he is will be, does your life look like it's so? And I'm not saying even perfectly. I'm not saying even 100% of the time. I'm saying, are you stumbling and failing your way towards Jesus being Lord of your life? 
Are you inch by inch crawling on your hands and knees through repentance and ups and downs, trying to make Jesus visibly Lord of your life, not as a show to the outsider, but as a way to live an authentic Christian life? You see, Jesus over everything means that everything is good until it tries to compete with Jesus. Everything is good. Enjoy your life. Enjoy vacations. Enjoy the things that God has given you. Enjoy your riches. Be be glad of the humbleness of your poverty. Whatever the Lord has given you, enjoy it. Maximize that which he has given you. Be a good steward. But if ever those good things come in competition with Jesus, this value should be a priority check to say, wait a minute. This good thing is now seeking to be bigger than it is in my life. This good thing is trying to take a higher place in my life than it should. It doesn't make it a bad thing. It just means I got to put it back in its place. I just got to put it back in its place. Family, this is why I'm pleading with you. Because, man, we can do We can have the best church website in the world. We can have the best worship service in the world. We can have the best programs in the city. But unless we together are living authentic lives, submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, all people will see is our hypocrisy and not our Savior. All people will see is our hypocrisy and not Jesus. And the reality is we are not in a culture where we have to make these types of decisions. There are many places around the world where you don't got a choice. It's, it's clearly Jesus or everything else. But we live in a culture that doesn't really present us with these hard choices all the time. No one is shocked if we choose Jesus. No one is shocked if we don't. Most Christians will think that you're doing too much if you actually try to live like a Christian. Amen. Most Christians are like, man, we ain't gotta do, you don't got to do all that. And so the tide that we are swimming in, the current say, you don't, you don't really got to do all that. I mean, you're already going to heaven. Like, what, what's the point? The point is, family, that we are called to represent Jesus on this earth. Do you realize how crazy that sounds? Jesus is alive right now. We know this, right? Jesus could have just stayed. He could have just planted the first church, been its first pastor, and still be pastoring today. Can you think about the church planters that Jesus would send? The worship that would happen at Jesus' church? The evangelism that would ripple through the country and the nation and the world with Jesus as the leader of local missions. Why did he leave? Why did he look at people who all 12, a few weeks earlier, had all denied him and left him to die? That they were hiding in a room. I know we try to uh, spiritualize Acts chapter 2, that they were praying. No, they were hiding in the upper room and probably praying for protection. This ragtag group of men and women, he was like, all right, I did my part. Y'all got it. I'm out. And then he literally lifted into the sky with the disciples wondering what he's doing. Where are you going? It took an angel to get them to stop looking at the sky. An angel had to show up, look it up in Acts chapter 2, look it up, Acts chapter 1. An angel literally has to come like, what are y'all doing? 
Jesus told y'all what to do. Go do that. And I relate to that because Jesus, you, why don't you just stay? Where are you going? Why are you leaving the most important mission in all of creation to us? Family, when we get to heaven, we can ask why. I don't know the answer to why. But the truth is clear that he has done that. That he has entrusted the most important mission in all of creation, the salvation of souls and the glory of God to you. To you. Not so that you can go into vocational ministry, but so that you can do dinner time a little different than your unbelieving friends. That you can spend time and money a little bit differently than your unbelieving friends. That you can prioritize your week a little bit differently. And in those even small things, people would see the glory of God. Matthew 5.16 says it this way, that when we do those good works that God calls us to do, it gives glory to our Father in heaven. And so, family, I'm, I'm pleading because I know it's hard. I know even though you're here on a Sunday morning, that many of you struggle to even believe in the credibility of the local church because you've seen hypocrisy up close. You've seen church hurt and experienced it up close. You see the, the Twitter wars with evangelicalism and all these things that are happening, and you may not feel all that proud to be a Christian at your job. You may not feel all that proud to rep Jesus when you go back to your family reunions and Thanksgivings and Christmases. But here's the beautiful thing. You don't have to go to your job, to your kids' games, to your classes, to family reunion. You don't have to go back there representing Christianity. You can just go repping Jesus in your life. I'm not trying to create a distinction where there isn't one, right? We know Christianity is this idea of, Lord, of Jesus being Lord, but sometimes the, the forms and the functions and the models get in the way of the person Jesus. And what if you invited your unbelieving friend not to church, but to Jesus? Because a lot of them actually still want Jesus. A lot of them still want hope, want truth, want life, want answers. And there's something on the inside of them that says, I think Jesus has got it. But the wrappings of the methods of the church sometimes become a barrier. And so just sidestep the barrier altogether and rep Jesus. Instead of saying, hey, brother, my church starts at 915. Why don't you come with me? Why don't you say, hey, man, you ever want to read the Bible together? I don't got all the answers, but I'll read it with you. We can talk about it. Y'all know that that's the makings of a revival right there. We know that, right? That's the makings of a revival. Hey, man, you want to come over for dinner? Hey, for the first couple minutes, we kind of read a scripture um, before the family comes. You don't have to worry about that. You can just come and listen. We just want to eat together. And it's going to be messy. Our kids are going to be yelling the whole time. They're going to be throwing food. But just the discipline of hearing scripture, we just, we just do it. We ain't even talking about cleaning up your life. We're not talking about pretending to be something that you aren't. We're talking about invite people into the mess as long as the mess got Jesus there too. <laughs> invite people into the regular rhythm as long as Jesus is there too. Like, family, I'm pleading with you to reject the world's offer of complacency, to reject the world's offer 
of checking the religious box and then living your life your way. I'm pleading with you to think, does this choice, does this relationship, does this purchase, does this decision reflect the lordship of Jesus Christ? Because he's entrusted to me something precious. The mission of the church and the glory of God. And he did not entrust it to Radiant or First Baptist or First Methodist. He entrusted it to us together. He entrusted it to you and to me. And so we've all got a part to play. But Jesus over everything needs to go beyond a theological statement of truth because it is that, but it's not just that. It needs to go beyond a hope for end time revelation. It is that, but it's not just that. It needs to be something that we live our lives by every single day. Does this choice reflect my choices to follow Jesus? I could put a sign in my front yard saying who I'm voting for this fall. But maybe that would make it unclear that Jesus is Lord of my life. And so I don't. I could argue with my friends about these other things, but maybe that decision would make it unclear that Jesus is Lord of my life. So I don't. I could live my life this way and nobody would say anything. You've earned it. You deserve it. But it might muddy the waters that Jesus is Lord of my life. And so I don't. That's what this means to put Jesus over everything. It means, like Paul is saying, I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. I'm not asking you to do anything different, family. I'm not asking you to do anything more. I'm asking you to do everything different. I'm not asking you to do anything more than you're doing now. I'm just asking you to do everything different. The word of God is calling us to do everything just a little bit different. And it could be just a slight pause and say, is this, does this decision that I'm going to make somehow muddy the waters that Jesus is Lord of our lives? Does this decision I make make it clear that Jesus is Lord of my life? Because God is worthy of my submission and the world is waiting on a credible witness. Family, we're doing some stuff different next year, and I'm done. We're doing some different stuff next year. The goal isn't to be different for different sake, man. We're not, I can get bored one day and just feel like throwing away the church, right? You know how many pastors told me, like, yo, what are you doing? Do the thing that other pastors should be doing right now. Build a bigger sanctuary, launch another service, do the stuff, and all that stuff is good. I'm not saying anything is wrong with that. But man, I see the potential in this church. I've heard your stories of how God has healed you. God has delivered you. God has saved you. And I see the power of God on display in your lives and family. My heart's desire is to unleash that, not to bring it here more often. Because maybe I believe what you struggle to believe. I believe that if your neighbor saw the God in you like I see him in you, your neighbors come to Jesus. If your coworker her know the testimony of your life, your coworker is coming to Jesus. If your family member, I know they disagree with your politics, but if they saw the Jesus in your life, they're going to ask different questions. And so my desire, the pastor's desire here is to unleash that unto the city. To free you 
from being honestly here less. If we're honest, I just want you in this building less often. And I want you around people who need the hope that you have and the hope that you know. I need them sitting next to you. And if we got to do that at your house and groups, then that's what we're going to do. If we got to do that through other outreach mints, that, that's what we're going to do. You already have the spirit of God living in you. If you know Jesus, you have everything you need right now to start a revival in your neighborhood. You got everything you need right now to start a revival at your job. People showing up early to pray with you. People staying later to read the Bible with you. People coming over, knocking on your door, saying, hey, you just read something. I got a question. You got everything you need already. And family, my desire, Pastor Neil's desire, Pastor Marcus's desire is to unleash that on this city by unleashing you through this city. But as we go, we have to keep in mind that Jesus has to be overthink if the witness, if our witness is to be credible. We have to keep making decisions that show Jesus Christ is Lord over all. Will we take a step today to do that? And it's just a step. I'm not saying throw nothing away. I'm not saying quit your job. I'm saying use your job. I'm not saying quit these activities. I'm saying use those activities. But use them as opportunities to share the hope of the good news of Jesus Christ. And family, you're going to stumble and fall your way through it like we all are. We're talking about crawling inch by inch to rip the American out of our Christianity. We're talking about crawling inch by inch to unlearn how we thought about the gospel incorrectly. But we can do it together inch by inch, making God more glorious and our witness more compelling. And although you have all that it takes by yourself, you're not on this mission alone. And that's why we're still going to gather once a month next year. Hopefully that once a month gathering is a testimony service. Let me tell you what God did last week. Let me tell you what God did two weeks ago. Let me tell you what God did in my neighbor's marriage. Let me tell you what the Lord showed me in the scriptures. And now we're not coming on a Sunday hoping to get filled by God. We're coming on a Sunday hoping to fill somebody else because we got a story. We got a story of how God showed up and we can't wait to tell it. We can't wait to sing about it. We're shifting how we're thinking about all this. And I know it's going to be a slow walk. We're going to take five weeks walking through each one of these values piece by piece, little by little. But hear me clear today. This is the foundation of all things that Jesus is over everything. Not just theologically true, not just eschatologically true, but practically in our lives, we make the decision to do everything with the purpose and the point of sharing the good news with those who need it and to enjoy its blessings for ourselves. Let me pray. Father. Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com giving.